Oaths Hermes podcast. Welcome to the world of the Western esoteric tradition. Friends and listeners, welcome to our season four. This is the second episode in this new season that started by coincidence at the same time as the new year 2020. And the name of this show is Masonic Wisdom and History. And in it, we will meet with British Masonic scholar Dr. David Harrison. Today is January the 12th, 2020, and as always now, hopefully, on Sunday at 3 p.m. Central European time, which is 9 a.m. on the U.S. East Coast, 6 a.m. in California, and for all the others, 2 p.m. Universal time, this show has been released, and it will happen the same time next week again for episode 3. My name is Rudolf and I'm your host, speaking to you from nearby Austria's lovely capital Vienna. The Thoth Hermes podcast brings to you interviews with important and interesting figures from the world of the Western esoteric tradition. We talk here about the occult, mysticism, magic and the paranormal. In some episodes, we also present books and important events like conferences. And we always play a bit of music as well. You can find all the information about our podcast on www.thoughthermes.com. That is T-H-O-T-H-E-R-M-E-S.com. And there all episodes are available from the beginning but you also find the show notes and possibility to give me feedback. We can also be found on Twitter and Facebook, of course. The show can be listened to also on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spreaker, Spotify, iHeartRadio and many other outlets. And there is an audio version of the episode also available on YouTube for those of you who prefer this medium. A little request to all of you listeners out there who make music as composers or performers. I would love to hear from you. Especially if your music relates to the occult and the paranormal, I would love to get music from you, which I can then play in those shows. Let me know more about yourself, send me some samples, and we do something about it. This is also the occasion that I once again want to thank you, our friend Chris Roberts here because he performs and composes a piece of music which is now our intro and outro music. Thanks again, Chris. The Thoughts Hermes podcast also needs your support. Please click on the donate or on the Patreon button on our website or go directly to the Patreon website and look for the Thoughts Hermes podcast there. From $6 per month, you can be a patron for us, and we would love to count you among them. Thank you. 
Well, this was a brief and rapid intro today because I know you're coming here to listen to the interview and today to David Harrison. Great. And I hope you will enjoy it. I just before mentioned that we also play music all the time and well, this time it's once again a great pleasure for me to play music that our guest, David Harrison, performed and recorded himself. He used to play in the band for some time. He will talk more about this in a minute. And now we start with a piece by and with him. All three songs we're going to hear today are from David's album Hum. And the first one we'll hear is named It's Not Your Scene. Enjoy. <laughs> Your scene when you run around 
It's Not Your Scene from the album Hum by and with David Harrison, who is our interview guest today. Dr. David Harrison is a UK-based Masonic historian, archaeologist, and he has written several books on the history of Freemasonry and contributed many papers and articles on the subject to various journals and magazines. He is one of the most searched after UK Masonic historians nowadays. He has also appeared on TV and radio providing expertise and insight into this subject. Having gained his PhD from the University of Liverpool in 2008, which focused on the development of English Freemasonry. His thesis was subsequently published in March 2009 as his first book entitled The Genesis of Freemasonry. After completing his first degree in history and archaeology in the University of Wales in 1997, Harrison had worked as an archaeologist and most notably on ancient Roman sites around Chester and Halewood in Liverpool. In our interview, we talk in the first part mainly about David's background, where he discovered masonry and what attracted him to history and archaeology, which, in a way, as you will hear shortly, was also partly a coincidence. Or maybe fate? Well, whatever. Let's go into the interview now and join David in his native England. As always, we will take a short musical break after about half an hour into the interview. Here comes the interview. It is my great pleasure to welcome today on the Thoth Hermes podcast, Dr. David Harrison, who is speaking to us from the United Kingdom, as you will soon hear by his little British accent. And um, Dr. David Harrison is a very well-known and very high-end uh, Masonic scholar. And we are going to talk about many things masonry today. And it's my pleasure to welcome you, David. Hello. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thanks for the invite. Well, thank you. Thank you for being with us. So, David, um, yes, masonry, masonry subject that has already been on this podcast a couple of times. And Mm -hmm. of course, it's a for many of our listeners who are not Masons themselves, mostly uh, uh, a topic of great interest. And um, so I thought it would be nice for several reasons to have you on this show Mm. to talk about yourself a little bit before that and then to talk about your books, because you have written quite a number of highly interesting books who talk about rare topics within masonry. Mm. And then maybe also about your general views on the craft and about about a few, maybe even a few hints of, because I sometimes then get emails by people who say, well, if I'm interested to learn more, maybe want to become a mason one day, what should I do? Maybe we can even have a little, a little talk about that towards the end of the show. Sounds good. So, um, as I said, you're British, mm-hmm. and but give us a little bit of your personal background, if if you will. Um, I mean, you you have gone into the scholarship of masonry, if I may say so, at some point. But yeah. what brought you there? What was your intention in life to get there? Um, how did you become the Dr. David Harrison that you are today? Well, it was all by accident, really. Um, in the 90s, I was uh, far from Freemasonry, as, as far as anybody could get from Freemasonry. I, w- I was in a band, 
um, enjoying music, doing gigs, recording, that kind of thing. And um, um, I used to work in as a day job. I used to work in the insurance industry, and I was selling insurance and things like that. That's that's very very early nineties, and um, I always uh, wanted to do a history degree. So I did that in 1994, I think it was, and went to Bangor University to do a history degree, history and archaeology. Mm. And archaeology was one of my main interests, really. So I got involved in that very early on. Um, so when I finished the degree course, about 1997, that's, that's what I started doing originally. Wasn't much money in that at all. Uh, <laughs> that coincided with... Um, the band that I was in kind of uh, splitting up, shall we say. Um, and I was uh, seeing a girl, her father was a Freemason. And he invited me to a couple of the social do's and said, you know, you're interested in history. You might, you might like a bit of this, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, that's, that's how it really started. And I joined the lodge, the first lodge that I joined was in Cheshire, in a little village called Lynn. And it used to meet above a pub, well, it still does, and mm-hmm. in, in the middle of the village. And it was great. Uh, that was about 1998. So I've been a Freemason now for nearly 22 years. And um, I loved it. When it, As soon as you walked into the lodge, it was like going back in time. Uh, Victoriana, shall we say, in, <laughs> if you're used to that term. Um very kind of 19th century. Everyone there wearing the, uh, you know, the tuxedos and the, uh, the black ties and um, yeah, and uh, the black and white checkered floor and and the uh, the etiquette for the dining. You know, loved it. It was great. Um, then uh, I did an MA, uh, a Master of Arts in history, and the tutors there were saying, oh, you know, you want to do a PhD, you know, you'd be good at this. Cause I, I, I was doing, um, a thesis and, um, this was on Freemasonry. This, this was on local Freemasonry. They, they, they suggested this because mm-hmm. when, when they found out I was, a, I, I just joined Freemasonry, they, um, they said, Oh, you know, you want to do something that you, you enjoy doing that kind of research. Um, and you also had access maybe more easily to, to the sources that you need. Yeah, right? yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, most uh, lodges, even today, you know, have, have little libraries and things like that where there's mm-hmm. old books. And I was always very attracted to old books anyway, you know, um, mm-hmm. old leather bound books and things like that. And um, so I did my MA and these tutors were still saying, oh, you know, you, you want to do a PhD, you know, um, and I suggested Freemasonry again, and they said, "Yeah, let's do it." And it, it was as as easy as that, really. You know, when I when I, when I think back, um, it was like a step by step thing, and it was really easy. Uh, and before I knew what I was doing, I was I was I was doing this PhD. And now that I I still do a bit of tutoring now, you know, um, degree students and MA students and PhD students, especially, and um, mm-hmm. some of those I found it really difficult you know, to, to actually get on a PhD program, shall we say, you know, and, and, um, I, I can say, well, well, you know, when, when, when I did this, you know, it was quite easy. And I think, I think one, one of the, the aspects of it was, um, the Masonic research that I proposed and, 
when you do a PhD, as as you probably know, you know you, you have to do something that's um, that's new, um, not been researched, um, at, at, at least for a while, anyway. You know, mm-hmm. and and you've got to come at it with a different angle, and um, it's it's got to be uh, a new direction within that research. You know. Um, building up a thesis so um yeah it, it was look looking back it was quite easy quite strange you know the way the way it occurred mm-hmm. and um so i did the phd part-time because i was i was teaching and lecturing at the same time as well and um a part-time phd took about seven years to do and uh so it's 2007 when i completed the phd submitted it uh, mm-hmm. successfully defended it uh, the year after in March 2008 and it was published as a book which and this became a first book Genesis of Freemasonry and mm-hmm. um, the publishers changed the title I think the title was something like the um, you know the uh, history and development of English Freemasonry or something like mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. and um, uh, so they obviously made it a bit more um, uh, accessible to the, <laughs> to the public market and there'd been a few other books called The Genesis of Freemasonry. I think I think there's been about two or three books. So they wanted to distinguish it from them, yeah. Yeah, and mm-hmm. uh, and it sold really well, um, and um, it's still still in print. It's it's just um, having its fourth fourth imprint. Um, that's, in, that's impressive, yeah. So it's available again at the at the end of the month, and um, it it did really well. It's become. Um, a classic, really, in a way. Um, a sonic yeah, classic. it certainly has. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. So that led to other other books as well. I, at, at the same time, I was doing articles. I was, I was doing a lot of articles for magazines, Masonic magazines. Mm-hmm. And um, so that, that really took off and gave me an audience as well. And uh, I did a second book called The Transformation of Freemasonry, which, which was – all the bits that was chopped off in PhD, because um, it kind of went crazy when it, when I was doing my PhD. Um, <laughs> it it was only supposed to be eighty thousand words, but I, I ended up doing about one hundred and sixty thousand words. It was <laughs> How did they get that go down then? <laughs> yeah, there was all these extra bits, and and the tutor was asking me to chop bits off and edit and and chop that off, get rid of that, get rid of this, mm-hmm. concentrate on this. That's great, you know. Get rid of all of that stuff. You can use that in the future, you know. And yeah, yeah. I, w- I was like um, um, a bull in a china shop, really. I was, I was just kind of going around to all these Masonic libraries in these <laughs> um, Masonic lodges and rooting around in the books and asking people, you know, can I borrow this one? And, and uh, mm-hmm. can, I, can I check out your minute books? And um, So, yeah, it was great. It was a great journey. And it, it kind of moved quite quickly away from what I was doing in the 90s, you know, in, in a band and things like that. And, uh, messing about doing gigs and things, and yeah. um, and uh, and that lifestyle to to becoming a writer, a researcher um, in in Freemason. Uh, I would never have imagined that career for myself ever. Mm-hmm. Um, although when it, when I look back now, there was hints. You know, there was certain little hints going on, um, as as there always are in in uh, you know the esoteric sure. field, if you like. Um, sure. 
Yeah, you know, um, there's all kinds of little things that you know that were happening back then. I'll give you hints that we're, that you're being led somewhere where she should end up, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I can I can remember um, when I worked in insurance. I mentioned I was an insurance salesman, late eighties, early nineties. Um, I um, remember the boss of an insurance place that I worked for, a friendly society actually. Um, I kind of barged in on him once and he was, he was looking at a little blue book, you know, <laughs> you know, the, a ritual book, you know, and, yeah. um, so we have to say that this little blue, bluish books, they are two masons. We react to that color, don't we? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, um, that's the, um, the color of masonry really, isn't it? Right. The, you know, the, uh, the, you know, the, color, the blue lodge in, uh, in, uh, the States and, um, um, but yeah, the, uh, the color of, uh, probably most ritual books are blue, little, little blue books. Right. And he kind of threw it down and said, Oh yeah, oh yeah. I was, I was just reading something, you know, and I discussed this with one of the secretaries and she said, Oh, oh, he's a, I think he's a Mason, you know? And, and, and there was this weird conversation about Freemasonry, which I, I wasn't that familiar with. I, I always thought Freemasonry was the domain of, you know, the middle classes and, and, uh, you know, like insurance managers or bank managers or local politicians mm-hmm. or, um, you know, professionals, you know, and, right. um, here's me at that time wanting to get into a band and write music and go into nightclubs and things. And, and so I wasn't that interested, but it, that, that stayed with me, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so there was little things like that and, you know, a few, a few other little things along, yeah. along the way, um, yeah. that kind of, reminded me of uh you know when i look back so, sounds very nice well with all that you said now you gave me a, a few little doors that i would like to open if i may mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, let me take one after the other just briefly because of course uh, we had one of your pieces of music all already before that interview so people already got an impression of of david harrison the musician and We are going to hear two more pieces later on in this show. Um, but just give us a little hint about your band and about your musical life today. Are you still active? Um, well, I've still got guitars around the house. Um, in this room at the moment, I've, I've got two acoustic guitars in the corner, my, my old 12-string and my old six-string. It's a Fender mm-hmm. six-string. Um, and uh, I still still play those and those from time to time. I keep them in tune and, and um, right. strum some of the old songs, you know. Um, yeah. But, um, yeah, the recordings of these songs that you'll be playing now, um, some some of those songs were taken from, from the 90s. And, and, it, and it wasn't until uh, about 2005, I think it was. So I, I, I was nearing the end of my, of, of, of my PhD. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I met someone, I was living in Liverpool at the time because that's where I did my PhD, the University of Liverpool. Mm-hmm. And I was working in, in Liverpool as well. And um, we got invited to a party and uh, there was a guy there. And it was one of those, it was probably one of the best parties I've ever been to. It was one of those parties where everyone's drunk, everyone's having a great time and you end up in the kitchen <laughs> playing music. And someone passed me this guitar and I was like knocking out some of my old songs from the 90s, you know, and uh, a few of the 60s things that, you know, that I knew. I'm not never that great on guitar, you know, I'm just a mm. chord man, you know, like a rhythm guitarist. Okay. And, um, I was playing Beatles stuff and knocking out a few of my old tunes. And this guy said, Oh, oh sounds great. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I told him about what I did in the nineties and he said, Oh, Oh, you want to 
check out a guy called Jeff Davis in uh, Liverpool. And I'd, I'd heard of Jeff Davis. He's, he's a guy that ran um, um, a record shop called Probe, very famous record shop in, in, yeah. in, in Liverpool. Yeah, how um, that went. Mm. Yeah, um, and I used to go there as a, as, a, as a kid, you know, right. s- uh, 16 years of age, kind of jumping on the train um, from, from Warrington to Liverpool. And uh, mm-hmm. we used to go straight to that shop and, and buy all these weird 60s albums, you know, uh, Arthur <laughs> Lee and Love and um, stuff by um, Strawberry Alarm Clock and uh, The Monkeys yeah. and bands like this, you know. <laughs> and um, so I, I knew the guy. So he gave me his number. And I phoned him up on the Monday. Uh, we had the party on the Saturday, and I phoned him up on the Monday. I thought, oh, yeah, let's just give him a ring and have a chat. So the music thing was probably still with me. And I phoned him up. I went round, and he says, right, um, have you got a demo? I said, well, yeah, well, this is an old one. You know, we put it on, and he loved it. And mm-hmm. he was, oh, this is great. And um, so he said, well, if you re-record some of that stuff uh, and come back round, and we'll have a chat. So that, that that's, that's how that worked. So... Uh, some of these songs that you'll hear now were recorded around about 2005. Right. And um, I, I, I ended up um, recording in a studio in Manchester called The Cutting Rooms, which was quite a famous studio in Manchester where a few Manchester bands had, had, had cut their albums and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Oasis had been in there and um, The Happy Mondays. Mm-hmm. And I met this guy called Adam Speakman, who was a great engineer. Well, he still is, still still works around Manchester. And um, he he kind of became my producer in a way. He was, you know, I, I was playing in the songs and he made them more professional. And so um, um, I was doing things then that I'd, I hadn't done in, in the 90s, really, you know. And, um, and, and this was all at the same time that my PhD was going on. And, um, mm-hmm. and it was a nice little break because I think I did it... Um, in the summer, in one right. of the summers, and and um, I must have re- you know recorded mo- most of the album, took it back to Jeff Davis, and he uh, released it on on Probe on his on his, on his label Probe Plus it was called, mm-hmm. and um, it was a nice little indie label, and you know it it, it was never going to get me famous in that respect, but it was yeah. great to finally record these songs properly, uh, sure. and. Um, just get them down onto, onto a CD and, and get them out to a bigger audience. And uh, yeah, 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 I'm glad. I'm glad we can play today. It's always fascinating to me how many of the people I interview here uh, are also actively into music. I mean, mm. among esoterically interested people, it seems to be quite common. Uh, talk about Gary Lackman, for example. <laughs> and, mm. and, um, and it's it's interesting really to, to see that, which brings me back um, to masonry because there is even a lot in London which is mostly composed of rather famous also uh, pop and rock musicians. If you, I'm sure you know the one I mean, yeah, um, is that, that Chelsea Lodge, exactly. Chelsea yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got, it's got Rick Wakeman in there, and um, yes, exactly. A few for others, example, yeah. and a few cool. others, definitely. And which brings me back to one thing you said. And <clears throat> if I got you right, the the lodge you first joined was uh, 
out there in um, in your in your area in Warrington Warrington area, right? So mm, that's is right. that I mean Warrington just for our listeners in in the northwest of England, if I'm not wrong, not far from the North Welsh Welsh border. Is that, that's is right, that yeah. correct? Yeah, right. it, it's it's smack bang in the middle between Liverpool and Manchester, and right. so it's you know it's. Right in the right. sort of industrial northwest, really. exactly what they called black country ages ago, and and um, so it's a rather um, it's a workers a workers area. Is that right? Uh, and yeah. so the lodge that yeah. you were mentioning, and you said it was a bit like the nineteenth century Victorian at the time. Mm. Um, is that typical for? That type of lodge at the time is it still like that today? And if you compare, for example, to London lodges, is it is it the same style that you would encounter there as you had in your initial lodge? Well, the, the very first lodge was 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 called Donville Lodge, and um, uh, that was the village lodge that, that still still meets in Lynn, the village of Lynn, mm. which is um, mm. South Warrington, and um, that that was a bit more kind of middle class, you know the when I right. when I went in there, they, uh, their kind of dress code was um, um, dinner jackets with the, the black bow tie, right? And um, so, and the dining was was um, uh, very very exquisite, shall we say? It was, you know, very very nice. And mm -hmm. um, even though it was in a pub, you know, it was um, it was a very old fashioned experience because we'd, we'd go into the pub. The lodge met upstairs. Um, we'd basically get a, a pint before we went in, and, the, and we'd go up, and we'd have to assemble the, the lodge furniture, and then open the lodge, and then do the lodge business, close the lodge. After we closed, we had to put all the furniture away in the cupboard. Mm -hmm. And so very kind of 18th century in a way, you know, uh, 19th right. century, you know, where, where um, you have evidence of, you know, people, uh, the brethren in the lodges kind of, um, chalking up the floor in the 18th century, yes. and and then they they give the duty to 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 mop it up, you know, to mm. give a mop and pail to the um, uh, the junior brethren to uh, to clean the floor, um, yeah. and 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 then we clear the uh, the lodge room away, and then we put these long tables out, and then we'd have our meal. And mm -hmm. um, so very 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 old fashioned, and right. it was great. I loved it, and. I left uh, the lodge after a few years, about three years, because I moved to Liverpool. Mm -hmm. And it met on a Friday night, and there was no way I could get there. I tried to get there a few times on a Friday, stuck mm -hmm. in traffic, you know, and it, yeah. it was terrible. So I then joined a lodge in Liverpool, uh, which met at a hall um, on the outskirts of Liverpool, Walton Hall, which mm -hmm. is this rambling old manor house, uh, which is now closed. And we met there for, for, for a few years, um, in a lodge called Toxic Lodge, and then I moved to um, the lodge. Then moved location to a golf club just just down the road. And um, and then after after the PhD was done, and um, I started getting a bit more work in Warrington. I wanted to move back to Warrington, so um, I moved back, and eventually I joined a lodge in Warrington again. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the central Warrington, called the Lodge of Lights, which is a really old lodge, 1765 it was founded. All right. So uh, I've, I've been there ever since. Um, I was Worshipful Master a few years ago. Um, and uh, so, yeah, yeah. I've, so I've been in three three lodges. Um, right. Yeah. Which, which in England is 
not so many because in England people tend to be in several lodges at a time and change quite a bit, don't they? Yeah, yeah, you do. You do find that because uh, people move move around with the jobs, right? Um, th- things like that, and sometimes they have a break as well. Some so, uh, plenty of Freemasons that I know have had a break. You know, for probably five, ten years. You know, for yeah, whatever yeah. reason, could be family, could be um, you know whatever. You know, and um, mm-hmm. um, they just decide to have a break. And um, I've known a few few guys that, that, that have had breaks and come back to it and. Uh, either joined another lodge or wherever or, you know. Right, right. Now let's go back to your books, David. Um, uh, how many of them are there now, by now? How many did you already publish? Do you do you have an overview? Um, there's 10 out at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've got, uh, I've just had a new book out called A Journey Through Freemasonry, which right. basically collects all my Uh, most popular articles on Freemasonry together, about 22 that articles. came out just in December, I believe. So it's just it a did. really few weeks back, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. That's right. Uh, so mm-hmm. that's that's the latest one. Um, mm-hmm. And I've got a book coming out in May, um, which had a bit of a delay on it, um, which is called Rediscover the Rituals of, of English Freemasonry. And mm-hmm. that's looking at the uh, Richard Carlyle uh, rituals from the early right. 19th century. Right. And so it's a book in two parts, really, because I examine Carlyle's life in a way uh, for the first part and link that together with his rituals that he had in the Manual of Freemasonry. And um, so that delves into all his rituals, uh, the Masonic story, and mm-hmm. what Carlyle wanted to do with that, with that Manual of Freemasonry, what, what his main ideas were. And um, it also reflects on what was going on in Freemasonry in England at the time, because obviously it was changing over here quite quite quickly with the uh, the union of the ancients and the moderns in 1813 and sure. all those changes. And that reflects on some of the past work as well, like the transformation of Freemasonry and um, the Liverpool Masonic Rebellion, you know. So, so there's all kinds of... Um, you know, re- revisits, shall shall we say, to, to, to some of those works. Uh, so the themes are continued, you know. Right. That, that's what I find. It's the, the books, the, I don't know all of them, but I know uh, a couple of them, and they all seem to pick up uh, very, uh, very special parts of Freemasonry. You, you just mentioned the transformation of Freemasonry. If I remember well, that was uh, talking about the early 19th, late 18th century, how the craft was also uh, put into relation with the French Revolution and uh, then yeah. what that meant to, to, to Freemasonry altogether. So mm. how do you pick your subjects? Um, because as opposed to many other Masonic books that you find in, on the market, which always are very general, Right, mm. you um, seem to pick those real specialities, if I may say so, and still um, they seem to run very well, even though they they could be just for a niche of people. How would you a How do you choose your your topics, and b How do you explain that those things work so well with the audience? Well, one of my main interests when I was doing my um, initial degree and my MA as well was uh, social history. And um, 
I was very much into social history of the, you know, the 18th and 19th centuries, you know, those kind of changes, the revolutions, as, as you mentioned there, the French Revolution, American mm-hmm. War of Independence, um, all the, um, the riots and uh, the social movements that were going on in Britain at the time, um, mm-hmm. especially England and Wales, um, all, all, all kinds of things, you know, the, the Peterloo Massacre and the Rebecca Riots, um, Machine Breakers, beginnings of the trade union movement. Um, all, all this kind of stuff was, was fascinating me at the time. All, all this social mm-hmm. change, this social up, upheaval. Mm-hmm. And um, so I kind of took that along, really, into the Masonic framework, if you like. And um, right. when... When I was talking before about these little hints in my past life that kind of, you know, were were kind of giving me hints of the direction I was I was going to go into in the future, uh, one of those was uh, to do with a guy called Richard Price, mm-hmm. uh, Doctor Richard Price, who was um, a late 18th century um, visionary. Really, he was a philosopher, uh, a natural philosopher. Um, very much into his um, revolutionary um, visions, really. Um, he was Welsh. He um, was a nonconformist. He ended up in London. And he wrote a lot of pamphlets at the time. Um, and we were having a discussion about him in a tutorial. This is in Bangor University when it, I think it was in my second year. And the name of Richard Price came out and all his work. And the tutor said, oh, he was a Freemason. Mm-hmm. And um, that kind of obviously echoed echoes from the past to when I opened the door and the manager was there with his little blue book, and um, and so I recognised that and I thought, oh well, what what does that mean? You know, because looking at Freemasonry now, it was all very middle class and as I mentioned, you know, insurance managers, bank yeah. managers in there, and um, and then. He's mentioning, the tutor's mentioning that this guy, Richard Price, was was a mason. And he was a guy that was very much into supporting the, um, you know, the American War of Independence and the uh, the French Revolution and, and um, uh, was connected with other radicals of the time, you know, Thomas Paine and, and uh, mm-hmm. Joseph Priestley and all these kind of people. So to me, that, that was a bit of a difference. And, um, Definitely. And so I thought, well, it'd be great to delve into that and find out what was really going on and why these changes were occurring, you know. And being from, from Warrington, which was an industrial town as well, mm-hmm. um, it was uh, something that, that kind of stayed with me. And uh, these themes started to develop. These strands of the story st- started to develop. So with Transformation of Freemasonry, it was looking at how the, there were a lot of uh, working men in certain lodges in working class areas, in, in, in industrialized areas in the later 18th, early 19th century. And um, there were links with uh, radicalism. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly things started to change. Um, when you get to the mid 19th century, the 1850s, um, certain charismatic individuals were, were being invited into lodges, um, you know, that were industrialists, um, uh, like, um, Sir Gilbert Greenall, for example, in, in Warrington, who, who, who was a brewer uh, mm-hmm. and he, he was, uh, very famous, um, 
in in regards to Warrington industrial history. Um, and um, he invited people in, and, and before you know what's going on, the lodge was uh, turned from having a working-class element to it to being a very Victorian middle-class lodge, mm-hmm. you know. And um, mm-hmm. so it was these kind of changes that, 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 fasc- that, that fascinated me. Um, and Freemasonry is all about change as well, you know. It's, it's, uh, it, it not only reflects the society that we live in at the time, um, but it changes with 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 that society. And it, it, if you look back to the 19th century, the 18th century, uh, you can see how how Freemasonry has changed and adapted, and it's changing all the time. And um, you know uh, that's one of the things that, that that fascinates me as well. And with with the Liverpool Masonic Rebellion, for example, that that was a story that just grabbed me. Where yeah. where where you have um, a bunch of Freemasons that disagree with the Union, disagree with the way Freemasonry is going, and um, they they rebel and create their own Grand Lodge, you know. Yeah. That, I, I must say, I, I had discovered that story uh, from your book, and I wasn't aware of it at all, and I find it a fascinating story. Right. Very interesting indeed. And I so much like that northern English accent of David's. Okay, I promised you some more music by him as well, and here we go. The second song that we play from his album Hum is called Luminous Circles. It actually opens that album. And by the way, it was David himself who picked the three songs we play today from this album for you, so it's a purely authentic choice. Here we go, Luminous Circles with David Harrison. Can we go on a sound clip? Can we please now listen into the sound? If you could hear the sound, it would sound something like this. All stars vibrate in this way.
Luminous Circles from the album Hum by and with our interview guest of today, Masonic scholar, archaeologist and author David Harrison. I should also mention that, of course, you will, as usual, find more information on David and his work, especially his books, on the Thoth Hermes website. If you go on the episode page and scroll down a bit. In the second part of our talk, we will speak more about the situation of masonry today, especially in the UK, and also about that ever-existing discussion or even dispute between a more esoterically oriented and a more society-oriented Freemasonry, but also about David's upcoming books and a few other topics. Immediately after the interview, you will hear his third choice from his album Home, and this song is called Walking on Water. Let's go back to Northwest England and continue our talk with Dr. David Harrison. I would like to pick you up on that a bit, because now let's leave the historian uh, beside for, for a few moments. Um, because you just said something about um, Freemasonry is all about change. Yes, true, because of course Freemasonry reflects the society which it exists in. And mm -hmm. as the society changes, it, it's also changing. But um, personally, I sometimes miss that element that you just mentioned mm. of um, maybe not being pure working class either, but being more socially active, being more socially mixed as lodges. And it has become, I think, all over Europe, at least, uh, probably North America as well, but I can more easily judge it on, on, the, on the European continent and the UK. Mm. It has become very much... Um, Uh, upper middle class or middle class at least, right? And mm. um, of course, there is a big, big part in Freemasonry which has to do with social um, issues, with um, society issues. And especially in the 18th century, not just the revolutions as such, but take for Austria, the 1920s, 1930s, when Masonry finally was... Um, possible in, in what we call Austria today. Mm. Um, uh, there were a lot of social movements uh, regarding election rights for everyone, etc. That became linked to Masons. Mm. And mm. where do we stand with that today, in your opinion? And um, what would, where would you like us to stand today? In, in um, what with the European Union, you mean? Or? No, no, no. I mean with the with the with the, with the social background, with with the working class background in masonry, with a with a complete mix, sets, let's say, of backgrounds mm. as in the membership of masonry and what we actually do, what we actually want to promote, what is important to us is that is that um, strive for liberty and human rights, etc., still strong enough in in masonry today. Um, yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Um, it's it's a bit like when I walked into my first lodge for the for the first time, and and I said, "Oh, it was like going back in time, and it was Vic, Vic, Victoriana, and and everyone dressed mm -hmm. up in me." Um, but but at the same time, it, it even though it was uh, a bit of a time capsule, um, it was still very very modern, and um, um, 
there was still quite a lot of old older uh, masons in there that, that, that had been in since the since the the war you know back in those days you know since since, mm-hmm. since the end of the second world war um, and um, there was um, the the newer people that were coming in the newer guys that that were coming in were were of a, a mix social mix that contrasted with the older element shall we say um, like myself, for example, I, I was from a working class background. Even though I got a PhD, you know, I was, I, I was, you know, my dad was a factory worker. I was, I was from that background. And there was a, uh, where, you, where, sorry to interrupt you, but were you at the time rather an exception in your lodge, or were you say was it the usual mix there? Um, I think it was a mix at that point. Um, I can remember another guy being in there that that, that was a car mechanic. Um, you know, and uh, a couple of other guys that um, you know that were more 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 working class um, from from working class areas. So the uh, the younger element, if you like, um, the bottom end of the lodge was mm-hmm. more of a working class mix, where the top end of the lodge, the older guys that had been in there since the end of the war or wherever, um, or the fifties, um, at least they were. Very middle class, you know, accountants mm. and um, business managers and um, industrialists. You know, you still had that kind of um, middle class dominant um, at the top end. You know, where the mm. bottom end, the new guys that were coming in were were, were more of a mix. And I think that's because uh, the social scene had changed and. Um, um, there was there was definitely a uh, the beginnings of um, a mix there um, from from what I can remember and and today as well you know um, the uh, the guys that are my age in in lodges now you know they they all seem to be from a you know more working class mix really mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so it's, it seems to be changing English masonry seems to have. Uh a kind of a problem getting new membership, especially among younger people. And when you go on the website of the United Grand Lodge of England, for example, you, mm. you get the impression they're really trying to, to attract people actively. Right. Mm. Mm. Um, which is a also partly British phenomenon, to be honest here yeah. on the continent, we are a bit more discreet about that. And in mm-hmm. Austria, we, for example, we have, we are a much, much smaller group, of course, but it is it is growing slowly, steadily. And mm, um, mm. so how do you see, the, uh, is there a problem with masonry? Um, is it not attracting the right young people today? Or how would you, how would you define that? What, uh, what causes that membership crisis in your opinion? Yeah, uh, I've talked about this before, uh, uh, quite recently actually, on, a, on another podcast. Um, okay. The, um, there's a big debate about it, really. Um, it's as if there's a couple of theories that are floating around. One, one, one theory is that it is kind of declining, which has created a bit of panic, and it's like, oh, we've got to get the young guys in, and, and you know, we're trying different things, you know, you know, to get. To get the, you know, to connect with these young young people to, to, to mm-hmm. get them in. Um, and another theory is that Freemasonry peaked after the Second World War. Um, uh, the um, the guys that 
you know, the, the, the fought in the war. He went back to Civvy Street, as they, as they say in England. Mm-hmm. And um, they, they still wanted that, that uh, camaraderie. You know, they, they still wanted mm-hmm. that order in their lives. They still wanted to meet people from their background. And um, so you see this peak of uh, Freemasons joining um, lodges and uh, lodges being being made as well. You know, um, there's a few lodges, you know, that, that kind of pop up around that time. <clears throat> and there's an expansion of, uh, of uh, Freemasonry. And then suddenly it starts to drop around about the 1980s. Um, it, it, it starts to fall off. And by the time I joined in, in the late 90s, it was definitely on a, on a, on a steady slope downwards. And, it, and it's still kind of maintained that uh, trajectory, really, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Going, going up and then down again. You know. um, uh, is, that, is that healthy, the, the going down? Is it just a- well, one of the theories is, is, is that the, um, the peak um, after the Second World War was um, a bit of an artificial peak, if you like, mm. and it's now leveling itself off um, to what it was before. That's, that's mm-hmm. one of the theories. Um, there's a colleague of mine, John Belton. Um, I think he, he's, um, uh, put, put that fit, that, that theory forward. Mm. Um, another theory is that, that, well, yeah, it's kind of, um, hitting the skids if you like, because people have got a changing lifestyle, you know, there's, uh, their, their working lifestyle has changed. They're now working, yeah. um, all over the place, you know, um, mm-hmm. in, in, uh, big warehouses and it's, and it's kind of, uh, different shifts and, and people, uh, young people, you know, uh, finding it hard to, um, get on the housing ladder, for example, finding it hard to get a job or pay off debts from mm. university or wherever. Um, so the whole lifestyle has changed and also, you know, um, the, um, there's a theory that was, um, uh, projected in a book called, I, th- I think it was called Bowling Alone. Um, <laughs> and it was from around about the late nineties, early two thousands, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. and, um, this, this book put forward that, uh, people's lifestyles have changed. People aren't clubbable anymore. Uh, you know, if, right. if, if you read, um, diaries and and works from the 18th century and early 19th century you always hear the word clubbable he he was a clubbable gentleman you know mm-hmm. uh these guys like to find like-minded um people like themselves and, and join clubs and discuss whatever they want to discuss yeah so, i hadn't heard the word before but it's, it's very speaking it's very clear yeah, yeah, yeah. clubbable mm-hmm. yeah that's mm-hmm. right yeah so mm-hmm. um so this this author that, that, that wrote this book, uh, Bowling Alone, uh, was basically putting forward that, um, you know, people today uh, are less likely to join clubs and societies because they, they have other things to do. You know, it's, it's um, not part of, of, of the social scene. So, yeah. so there's all kinds of theories floating around. Um, mm-hmm. But for me, for me particularly, I mean, I, um, even though there's quite a lot of lodges closing, um, there's still a lot of lodges that are thriving as well. Yeah. You know, I mean, my, my, my lodges, you know, is doing, doing very well. Um, mm. um, other lodges are not doing very well at all. And, and 
since, since, since I've joined the Lodging Warrington, and, and that, that's part of a group, they, they, they once had about 22 lodges that, that mm-hmm. met in the Masonic Hall in Warrington. Mm-hmm. And, and that, to me, was far, far too many lodges to, to, to sustain, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's shrunk now to about, um, I think it's around about 11 or 12 lodges. And some of those are struggling as well, you know. So, but other, others are doing really, really well. And th- this is the hard part to, to find out why one particular lodge has only got about 12, 12 men, 12 members yeah. or less, you know, uh, while, while others have, have got about 40 and are thriving. And p- part of it is to do with personality, you know, the, the personalities in those lodges. Um, you know, I mean, if, if you spend so much on Freemasonry a year and, you know, you you're going out on a Friday night, you know, um, to join these lodges or whenever. You want to make yeah. sure it's a good time. You want to make sure you enjoy yourself. You know, of course, and, yeah, no, um, sure. sure. Yeah, so sure. that's 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 part of it as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, linked to that, I have a, another question, which I think is also one of the great subjects around in Freemasonry nowadays. Um, you said before, very early in this interview, you said. Uh, you had come to Freemasonry basically by coincidence, and like mm. it often happens in the esoteric field, that's mm. the words you used. Yeah. And um, I find that interesting. <clears throat> I am completely with you. How could I not doing what I do here on this podcast and everywhere else? Mm. But um, um, I think you would agree with me that in, in within Masonry, there are kind of, let's Let's be a bit um, uh, cheeky. Two schools, one who is completely based on the more the meeting, the, mm. the being together, the social side, humanistic side also, let's put it that way. Mm. And there are other groups who see themselves more as an esoteric oh, Oh, maybe not occult, but esoteric group um, where the esoteric content is very important to them. I'm part of that, but I I need both because I think one one gets into the other. But that's that's another matter. Let's split the two for the moment um, because that's how it often being played. Right. You have often got those two groups, even within lodges, Mm. who prefer one side to the other. How do you see that and what's your take on it? And. How do you see Masonic reality? Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, um, I, I agree with that because as John Yarker, I, th- I think it was John Yarker that, that termed the phrase knife and fork Freemasons. Um, yeah, uh, John Yarker, uh, tell our people when that was because that's quite some time. Yeah, ago. I mean, that was late 19th century. There you are. Yeah, so. you know, and so <laughs> it, it, that, that, that was when the occult revival as well was. Exactly, was, was that, that's why I wanted, it's yeah. basically the same time when the Golden Dawn was founded mm, and so on. That's right. So that's it's right. an interesting phase in, in, in yeah. the occult history. Yes, yeah. mm. I mean, you had Freemasons like uh, Frederick Hockley and um, George Irwin and, and John Yarker. Arthur Edward Waite, um, yeah. Kenneth McKenzie, all all these kind of people um, that obviously saw Freemasonry as a gateway, as a more spiritual mm-hmm. gateway um, yeah. to look at symbolism and um, examine their, their their own spirituality in a way. You know, mm-hmm. it, it allowed them to to research that, and at, at the time. There was obviously this. They 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 noticed it as well. You know, there was there was the guys that joined Freemasonry because they were clubbable. You know, mm-hmm. going 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 back to that term again from the 18th mm-hmm. century, 
where they could meet, um, you know, people that, you know, it could be anything, you know, you know, just enjoy the night out, a meal, you know, dining experience. And, and, and then there was the, the other guys that, that wanted a bit more of a spiritual experience and, and found that in Freemasonry and mm. Freemasonry became the gateway to other things for them. Um, and sometimes it, it, it crossed over, you know, the clubbable, um, gentlemen still wanted like, like-minded discussion and, and may have ventured over and, but, but could come, you know, come back quite easily whenever they wanted to, you know, mm-hmm. um, and I've, I found that today as well. You know, there's a lot of young Freemasons um, that um, that are searching, you know, for something else within Freemasonry that are attracted to Freemasonry, you know, for this more spiritual experience. You know, they some some could be members of of the OTO, for example. Um, right. Others could be members of other um, societies, um, and um, you know, they they they're, they're in Freemasonry to experience um, their their own journey, you know. Um, so yeah, yeah, I I have seen that. Um, I've seen it more recently, the past, past ten years. I, I was going to say, do you do you have the impression that over yeah the last ten years I was going to say that mm. um, there is a kind of a revival again in that mm. perspective? Do you would you would you experience that as well? Definitely, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, no, known a lot of um, American Freemasons as well. I mean, I mean, you, you see it a lot on on social media, you know, where mm-hmm. uh, especially on Facebook, for example, where they have you know uh, these esoteric groups. I mean, there's debates about the word esoteric, you know, the use of the word word yeah, right, sure word sure. word esoteric. But let's just mm-hmm. label it that for now. Um, but um, yeah, there's many Freemasons um, that. Uh, are involved in that journey, shall we say, you know, it's a journey to them and it opens up not just to other side orders, but to examining themselves as well. And, um, you know, kind of examining themselves in a more spiritual way, looking at how they, they figure in the universe and, um, um, and they recognize the symbolism within the lodge, um, the workings of the lodge, have have similarities to um, you know other ideas and uh, other um, other Freemasons journeys, for example. You know, mm-hmm. we talked about Arthur Edward Waite and John York. I mean, they they entered Freemasonry and went on their own journeys. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's it's very interesting. You know, you know there's definitely a, so a repeat revival going on. You could even debate if organizations, I'm, I'm taking the Golden Dawn as an example, but there mm. are several, mm. um, um, have inherited so much, at least ritual-wise in the beginning, mm. from masonry or the Greece or, or, or whatever, uh, and that it's hard to tell what derives from what in a way, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, um, I mentioned in my book, The Genesis of Freemasonry, how, how uh, early Freemasonry seems to have um, soaked up other philosophical ideas as it's as it's gone on its journey. I think someone termed it the river theory, where where you've got all these little rivulets and, and brooks going into one big main river, you mm-hmm. know, um, and someone else termed it the river theory, which was very interesting. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I can I can see that with Freemasonry because it, it possibly started out, you know, as a 
a more um, speculative um, society for stonemasons and inviting other people mm. in. And then it, it, it soon kind of went on and adopted other ideas, you know, and um, expanded and developed again. And from, from two degrees, it went to three degrees, you know, in the 1720s and um, expanded on its symbolism, for example, and, and um, adopted other, other, other philosophical ideas that you can actually see in Freemasonry. Um, going back to, you know, the 17th century, you know, the, the Cambridge Platonists, um, right. you know, for example. You know, right. you, you can see some of those ideas reflected in, mm -hmm. in Freemasonry. Uh, and I make a point of that in my first book, you know. How you do, yeah. Little ideas mm -hmm. filter in there, you know. Yeah, yeah. But when you, when you listen to certain, certain, uh, well, let's call them officers of, of regular masonic obediences mm, mm. certain um then you get the impression that they don't want that part of of masonry um i'm yeah. i've heard i've heard high-end mem uh, members of the united grand lodge of england say that we have no spiritual background literally that's right, right? yeah yeah I remember um that. Yeah. Uh, you heard of that as well <coughs> so um mm -hmm. i find that really Odd, personally, to be to be honest, um, a yeah. on a personal level, but mm. also even on a practical, pragmatic level, because as you just said, the last ten years have shown a certain kind of revival in that field. Wouldn't that be a possibility to attract more young and more interested and genuinely interested people? Yeah, I think um, I can remember that that um, mm -hmm. uh, speech. Now it was. Uh, yeah. <laughs> It, it, it was one of the of the of the quarterly uh, of the quarterly quarterly um, communications. Yeah, communications, it was the, yes. um, I can't remember who, who it was now, but uh, no, I can't remember either. But yeah. so it was a five, <laughs> well, four or five years ago. I said, well, yeah, it, it, it led to um, quite a few uh, resignations. You know, um, well, I can understand. Yeah, that, I mean, yeah. Uh, he he probably won't won't mind me mentioning his name, but there was uh, another Masonic author. Uh, a fantastic Freemason called Julian Reese. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with his work. Sure, yeah. Um, and he he was a great, well, he still is, a uh, great, great ritualist. He he, he won the uh, uh, the um, the award, the silver, is it the silver matchbox? Um, mm -hmm, for mm -hmm. the... Um, oh, yes, for emulation law. Emulation, yeah, yeah. Right, uh, fantastic right. ritualist. And, and, and his books mm -hmm. reflect that. Mm, a lot of knowledge. And he was so upset by that that he he resigned from the United Grand Lodge of England and right. uh, uh, became a co-mason. You know, he, he yeah. was um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. very upset. And, and and I personally know a lot of Freemasons that that, that were upset with that and decided yeah. to to either leave. You see, there, there there I'm a bit different. I it upset me a lot when I read that. But why would I? quit an organization I like because of what one yeah, person says. Yeah. That, yeah, yeah, that's right. I think from, from reading between the lines, from, from what I can remember with that, was that I, I, I think they, what, what they were trying to do was, was attract the, uh, you know, the young kind of trendy guys, yeah, you know, probably. and, and mm -hmm. that might be put off by the spirituality element, the, you know, the, mm -hmm. the strange kind of esoteric element. Um, yeah. Yeah, um, that, that that can be seen as as being a bit too, you know, out, out of the norm, shall we say? Oh, sure, sure, yeah. no, and certainly, and and certainly, it's also sometimes handled a bit too 
too much out of the norm. Yeah, yeah. I think right, I think right. I think they were trying to attract the middle ground and and say, yeah. oh, you know, we're not we're not spiritual at all. Come and join us, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah, you'll you'll yeah. you'll meet some nice blokes, you know. Mm. And um, but they they did alienate a, a lot of people with that. I think you know, and, and I I can remember reading that and thinking, mm, you know, and. Mm. Um, it, it was a good good few years ago now. I can't, I can't remember the exact year. Yeah, four or five years it must be. Mm. Yeah, pro- probably a bit longer as well. Like, maybe even there. Maybe yeah, maybe. maybe yeah, you know, yeah. we age faster than we think. We do. We certainly <laughs> do. <Yeah. laughs> but coming back to that, because um, I was also coming to your book, The Lost Rites and Rituals of Freemasonry, which I uh, particularly like of your mm. books. And, and because also in the first part of that book, you're talking about that exactly, especially about the evolution of those Masonic rites and how all how this occult revival has mm. influenced um, the rites and vice versa. So that goes both ways, of course. Um, mm. Want to say a few words about that book? Yeah, well, the lost rites um, and rituals of Freemasonry was um, again that that happened by 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 complete accident, really, because um, that that was a breakaway from. My, my other words, you know, what, what, when we mentioned about the social uh, history yeah, and, and exactly. uh, the changes of Freemasonry. And it, it was inspired by a couple of conversations I was having at the time. I was, I was talking to a guy in the States, uh, a guy called P.D. Newman, who... P.D. Newman, yeah, well, yeah, I think many podcasters know him, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. He's done the rounds, yeah. He, he was mm. doing this, he did this, well, he... It was a great book that, that, that came out at, at the time. He was he was still doing some research on it, mm-hmm. and it was all uh, his his kind of vi- vision for that book was how um, DMT was used in uh, or possibly used in exactly. certain rites, like uh, yeah. uh, the Egyptian rite, uh, Count Cagliostro's yeah. Egyptian rite. Exactly, Memphis Mystery, meant, Yeah, that's right. Yeah, mm-hmm. and. Um, and there was another rite, I think it was uh, the Melissino rite, um, where, mm. again, possibly the ritual hinted that something was taken. And we had this great discussion where, well, that would make sense, you know, with the, with the, with the white and black checkered floor and all the candles flickering and the atmosphere. And then we got talking about other other orders where um, uh, a drink is, is, is offered, you know, mm. um, uh, that could have had herbs in it and things like that, you know, and, and different types of wine. So it was a great, great conversation. And that, that got me looking into, uh, triggered me in a way to look into these other rites. Mm. And um, I picked up a book of um, Arthur Edward Waits' his, uh, Cyclopedia. Um, and that had, had them all in, you know, little entries for, for all these weird and wonderful rites that existed on the continent in the 18th century. Mm. Um and around about that time, I got talking to, um, I've forgotten his name, um, Joseph Wages. Um, yes, Joseph Wages, yeah. yeah. And he, I've forgotten his name. He'll, he'll probably kill me over that now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, um, he wrote that great book about the Illuminati, the Bavarian Illuminati, and he sent me a copy. And uh, that that was great. You know, I'd, I'd never really delved into those kind of rites before because I'd, yeah. I'd concentrated on English Freemasonry and, and, and the developments of English Freemasonry. Um, I was, uh, more kind of sealed off in England, shall we say, you know, mm-hmm. and that allowed me, that book allowed me to look at all these rites on, on the continent 
um, in in depth for the first time. And um, so that that's how that book came came about. And then when when I was doing it, the publishers said, "Well, you should try and bring it back to England if you can, because obviously a, a lot of um, uh, people that are going to buy it will be English, you know, or or sure. or will speak English. So you know, you need to bring it back into England. So I ended up kind of for for a couple of chapters bringing it back." And that allowed me to um, discuss the occult revival. You know, people like Yarker and uh, yeah. Waite and, and Hockley and Irwin and all these people that tried to um, delve into these lost rites of the 18th century and sure. um, try to revive them. You know, like Yarker with the um, Swedenborgian rite and um, how um, I think it was Irwin that, that, that tried to do a seance and um, with with Count Cagliastro and all these other figures, and, and uh, um, you know, um, try to get these details of these lost rituals and things, which was fascinating, you know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, it was good. Yeah, and out came uh, out came a really fascinating book, I believe, because I think your book is really highly interesting and oh, recommended. Oh. Um, re- really. Um, David, you, you spoke about a um, couple of projects that are uh, up and running and uh, mentioned a book that will be published in a, in a few months, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, what any any other plans you have and you would like to talk to us about and, and uh, what people should keep their eyes and ears open uh, about yourself and what's coming? Yeah, well, uh, my latest book, um, the one that's out now, just out now, is the um, A Journey Through... Freemasonry, which, yeah. which which has all my um, it's a bit of a uh, compendium book. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's doing really well at the moment. Um, the book that's out in May is Rediscovered Rituals of English Freemasonry, which is kind of follows on from the Lost Rites and Rituals book, really, mm-hmm. and it's got a similar cover. I kind of envisioned three books um, that delve into these. Um, lost rituals. Um, mm-hmm. I need. I need to mention. It's good you mentioned the, the cover because the, the cover of the Lost Rights book it's also completely different from the other books that you that you publish. Um, it's well, you you describe it, but it, it bears the names of the four archangels, which are related to elements. Uh, mm. It has a, a sacred geometry sign on it somehow. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. that's probably your your intention between <clears throat> behind all that, right? Yeah, well, um, what, what I wanted to do, to do with the cover was was to blend, um, as we mentioned before, you know, the esoteric side of Freemasonry and yeah. and the um, uh, the regular um, knife and fork side of Freemasonry, if you like, and mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. try and blend a symbol together that that, that reflected both. And at the same time, um, I was given a talk to the regular Grand Lodge of Belgium. And right. um, the guy that organised that for me, he gave me all these rituals of um, eloquen, mm-hmm. the eloquen rituals, and um, they were they were they were fascinating stuff, you know, a big big folder full of full of these rituals, which is great. Mm-hmm. And there was an image of um, um, you know the sacred circle with with the the uh, the, uh, the, the four archangels there. And um, I'd, I'd, I'd seen that image before um, when when I was doing a PhD in the University of Liverpool. There was a girl that was doing a PhD on witchcraft, believe it or not, and um, she, she did a fascinating PhD. 
and she was showing me all these symbols because like she'd heard that I was doing the Freemasonry thing. She was, we were swapping symbols one day, you know, and hmm. you know, obviously in this, you know, and that, that was one of these symbols, um, you know, that, 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 that came out and, um, mm-hmm. you know, the, uh, the blessed banishing ritual, Right. Um, you know, exactly. with, yeah, and that's what it reminds me for. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. that's right. It was great, mm-hmm. and I thought, well, let's merge those together, you know, and and mm-hmm. um, and there was a, a yantra there as well. Managed to get a yantra um, within the formula as well, you know, and yeah, um, yeah, yeah, it was good. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, interesting, and uh, but sorry, I I cut you off, Miss. You were just in the middle of talking about that coming book in May, I think. <laughs> oh I yeah, cut you with that. Rediscovered Rituals, yeah, which is the Carlisle mm. book, um, the mm. um, the first examination of the Carlisle Rituals um, from his Manual of Freemasonry, because he um, it was a very very popular book in the 19th century and early 20th century. You find it in, in most Masonic libraries over here. Um, and before uh, United Grand Lodge of England um, printed the official emulation ritual, uh, I think it was 1969, um, that the Carlisle book was, was, was one of the books that most Freemasons used because it had the craft rituals in. But not only that, it, it, it had a, you know loads of rituals in there, loads of high, high degrees. Um, some 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 that can be found in in uh, Delinto's Rite of Seven Degrees, for example, and um, mm. uh, the Scottish Rite as well. You know, um, there's, sure. there's there's some of their degrees in there. So it's a real mix, a real uh, eclectic mix of uh, degrees, mm. ne- never before been been discussed. So um, I delved straight into that, and uh, that became the follow-on book from. The Lost Rights. So it is really like right. a sequel in a way. And it would be with, with, with the same publisher again with Louis Masonic. With, with, with Louis Masonic, yeah. Right, That's right. Great. Great. Great, David. Well, thank you so much for your company in this hour. It was great to talk to you. And um, yeah, thank you. Uh, looking forward to, those, to, to, to this new book. I make sure that my people here will know when it'll come out. Um, I'd like to finish off with a sentence which is on the back cover of your of your uh, Lost uh, Rites and Rituals and put that into a last question for you, maybe, mm. or a statement. Yeah, sure. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. Whatever you want to make out of it. Um, it says... Um, the book will also take a look at the lost English rites and rituals. And then it says, along with the lost symbolism that vanished after the union of the ancients and the moderns in 1813. So sometimes you get the feeling that by making too many compromises, mm. masonry compromises, I, I say compromises, not not being nice to each other, but compromises, mm. Um, mm. you maybe lose sometimes depth and quality. Um, yeah. I'm not sure if I'm right, but what would what would be your take on that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I think with the the union, you know, there was there was this this compromise um, between mm. the ancients and the moderns. Um, a big example of that would be the way how how the English treat the Royal Arch, for example. Yeah. Um, where the ancients yeah. saw that as an additional degree, a fourth degree, really. The moderns mm. only saw it as um, a completion of the third, you know, a, a little continuation of the story, you know, mm. um, and with, with the union of 1813, the Royal Arch really became uh, a bit of a casualty, um, you know, in, 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 in that compromise because, um, 
I mean, I've, I, I'm, I'm a member of the Royal Arch, and it's completely different to the third degree. You know, it's, yeah. it, it, it's a completely separate story. It, it's part of the same story, um, but it kind of zooms into the future, you know. You Abs- know. Absolutely, yeah. Um, the Solomon's Temple is destroyed, and, and um, you know, it's about to be rebuilt, you know, the second temple, you know. So, mm-hmm. so, so, there's, so there's actually a gap in the story. Um, and all, all these other rituals that, going back to the Carlisle book, you know, um, all, all these other rituals fill in that story, you know. So what, what the Carlisle book was, uh, was doing, the Manual of Freemasonry, that, that was uh, available for these Freemasons that, that wanted to fill in the gaps um, quite, quite unofficially, on, on you know. They, were, mm-hmm. they, they could do these little rituals, um, you know, um, that, that weren't adhering to the, um, to the, um, the main powers that be really, you know? Right. Um, right. So, um, they, they could fill in these stories and, and fill in the gaps and, and complete the Masonic story. So, so mm-hmm. yeah, you know, with, with, a, with a compromise, um, like, like the, the union that there, there, there were, symbols that, that, that fell by the wayside uh the christian elements for example were taken out of the uh the ritual one side yeah yeah and um um so these these, these are comments that, that that people make you know from from um europe for example you know they they come over here and and they say how different the english emulation ritual is from certainly from, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. other rituals you know? but with all all things always have two sides, of course. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Well, once again, thank you so much. Really, really enjoyed our talk. And yeah, it's been um, a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, and well, good luck with all your ventures, upcoming ventures, and yeah. uh, let's hope to be back one day here on Thos Hermes. Thank you to, for today, and. Um, well, goodbye to you in, in the north east or northwest of England. Yeah, and uh, yeah, thank you very much for the invite. And um, yeah, I'm I'm over in Vienna next week actually, but uh, only only oh, great. only well. only briefly. But uh, okay, yeah, okay, great. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, thank you. Good, for the invite. Thank you. Pleasure. Bye. Thank you. Summer breeze warming on my face. There's nothing that I can do when I'm running the human race. Feeling the summer sun.
was a third song from David Harrison's album Hum called Walking on Water with and by David, who was also our interview guest today. I hope you did get some insight into masonry today, but also got interested enough to learn more, for example, by David's books and his talks. You can also find him on YouTube and also this information I shall give you on my show notes on the website. So don't miss out on that. Which brings this episode two of season four to an end. We will be back next week with another interesting talk. That episode will be called The Entire Magical World and will feature American author of esoteric nonfiction books, aromatherapist and tarot reader and much more, Judica Illes. She is a specialist in many fields of the occult, especially witchcraft, spellcasting, etc. I'm sure you're going to enjoy. For today, I would like to thank you for having been with us. Spread the word about the Sauce Hermes podcast. Think about becoming a patron. No, don't only think about it, just do it. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Take care. Stay tuned. Hear you soon.